I go through phases. You know, when I when we first came to Canada, I bought that guitar, that Gibson, that yeah. amazing, which I had for like two weeks. Would you? Is that how much was that? Do you know? That was thirty five hundred. It was the best guitar by far, leagues ahead of any of these. Just that's why whenever I, I mention Gibson and you're like, no, it's like no. It's, I guess I just look at it as like you know I don't like that. Well, you round can get shape different shapes. And, yeah, they have the SG, which is the no. It's just uh, but you have to buy above their base trim. Yeah, you gotta buy like the two. You the, gotta buy the Made in America one, right? Or, or not? Not necessarily the Made in America one, but not the Epiphone line. But not how their do entry. they? Yeah, I would never. Yeah, because what they do is at the base trim is where they rip you off. Yeah, of course. Actually, that's with a lot of a lot good of, brands. Yeah, a lot of good brands rip you off at their base trim, and then. A lot they of higher bad, end. They get a bad rep amongst cheaper people because they're like comparing value for value at the lower tier. You know what I mean? Because they're trying to dissuade you from buying the entry level. If the entry level was a better bang for buck than the higher level, then fewer people would buy it, right? Yeah, that actually doesn't make sense to have the entry level. I mean, it it does, but it also doesn't. Yeah, like, from a purely capitalistic point of view. Yeah. Yeah. So I was saying, anyways, the. Uh, so when when I came here, I bought that guitar and then I sold it. You know, had that uh, music is haram purge for a while, and then had the motorbike in two thousand nine because it's like it's a halal hobby, and then I got rid of that too because it wasn't so much about the the danger of a motorbike. It was more that I just got bored of it, right? But I find that I have this thing where I start something, get it out, start something stop it and then start something like with graphic design stop it and then eventually they come back it's it's well, i guess it's this is open boxes, boxes. Thing, yeah. yeah but it's interesting the second coming the second coming of christ <laughs> of that hobby is always is always the one where it sticks yeah it's like a maturity and uh you know that that thing that you said that oh i, I have this intensity and i start things all of a sudden that uh, ephemeral is... intensity is not there that dissipates yeah you know, it's like what so, my dad says, soda lemon kajosh, which means like the the fizziness, fizziness of, of a carbonated drink. Yeah, the and strength. The, yeah. Josh means strength, right? So Yeah, I guess, yeah. So it, it is true, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that you can never recover those hobbies. Because if that wasn't there, then I would have never ventured in the first place. Yeah, you need that in order to actually get over the entropy. Is it entropy? Uh, no. Inertia. Inertia. <laughs> you love that word. Entropy is the one we Yeah. <laughs> And then I was thinking that, you know, that uh, lecture with uh, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad about the becoming living things. Yeah. Living things. Yeah. And he talks about that whole be amazed with everything. And that's, I think, I mean, he's preaching to the choir when he says that to me. I cannot, I could not be more amazed with things. And I always, in the past, even though I'd be amazed by things in a way that's, you know, I don't want to say spiritual and I don't want to, you know, put myself in this uh, position where I'm trying to be more Sufi than I am or whatever. But yeah. I would say that it is because I noticed that the people who don't, who are not amazed by these things, they don't see it the same way. So I wanted to give you an example. So yesterday, I'm just uh, filling out my... And this is why I take uh, a longer time to do things. Uh, eat, drink, uh, regular tasks because... There's two levels. There's two. One is that there's, you're trying to master the thing, but the other is that there's this constant influx of all the the aspects of that thing which are amazing and miraculous. So if I'm writing, for example, I open my journal and I I write with these brush pens, right? So instantly I'm 
I'm always distracted by the way the ink flows out of the paper and the nib curves. And I just imagine like a microscopic view of the ink seeping into the paper and how it's spreading through veins. And then those patterns of the veins and how rivers and... So instantly I'm out of that task and I'm daydreaming about that miracle, which leads to kind of a, a moment of awe. But that's going to elongate any task you're doing. And it's not just with writing, right? You could do the same thing with guitar. You're making that tone and then you start visualizing the overtones and then the fundamental frequency and then the, the dynamics of a bend and then why it makes you emote. And then you lose focus on the task. So, but my point is that, yeah, I am constantly amazed by everything. Yeah. No, and I think that's the only way you can do things for a long time is to be... Because if you just only enjoy at the surface level if you just played guitar and you just heard the sound and that's it then why would you last. play the same thing over and yeah. over again and know? i think people who say that that you're going to get bored of it don't have that experience that i'm describing here yeah and i remember there was one person i'm not going to mention who but actually quite a few people have said this in in general maybe not verbatim like when i'm doing design or something and i'm saying that i'm really interested in this they say oh you know just just find a job that pays well you're you're most likely going to get bored out of this after a few years even when i first got the bike yeah you're probably going to get bored out of it well you did but no i didn't though <laughs> that's the thing but what happened was that i couldn't afford yeah you yeah, got bored of the bike you that had particular. not bikes no general. i wouldn't even say bored i got proficient at that yeah, thing yeah you you did it it was like done i had the one punch man problem yeah yeah and also a bike is not a very I mean, unless you're going to start doing tricks or something and yeah, kind of get dangerous. I was not into not... wheelies. And I remember I was doing uh, uh, those twisties, right? And in those twisties, uh, the goal is to, to lean the bike as much as possible. And uh, you can't see yourself leaning. So I'm thinking, I'm like, am I leaning a lot? And then one day my toe uh, scrubs the, the asphalt. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm pretty leaned. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty lean. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I don't think I can lean the bike more. <laughs> yeah. Because I can't see myself. So I'm like, I got the leaning down. Because I always felt like, nah, I'm probably not leaning it enough. Yeah, you know, I'm just like, you. I'm probably scared of it. Because I always perceive myself not uh, capable of mastering these things. Because you can't see yourself. And then I remember I was once like chasing this other guy on a 600. I was keeping up with him, you know. Because of course, when the turn comes, he has to slow down. And then it depends how comfortable are you going fast on a turn. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. Because that's what would happen. I'd catch up on the turns. In the straights, he'd floor me. Yeah. But on the turns, he was going slower than I was. <laughs> but because yeah. his bike was heavier, so it's harder to maneuver. But it was fun. It was like a very playful thing. He knew what was going on. I knew what was going on. Right? So, and at the end, then you do the biker salute thing. Yeah, it was a fun thing. You know, and then he just passes me. It was like, okay, yeah, yeah you're gone. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a different thing, I think with the uh, motorbikes versus cars. Because I remember with, with cars, there's this aggression. There isn't this camaraderie. You know, you meet someone at a traffic signal, especially like in the Middle yeah, East. Yeah, if you make eye contact with someone on then your they car. Then they floor it, yeah. But it's, with, with bikes, they're playing a, an infinite game. With cars, they're playing a finite game. And I think that there's this ethos. I'm not saying all car people are like that, but generally the kind of people that buy cars are from a larger set of just conformist society. Like, like sports cars. That, yeah. That would, yeah. Whereas people who buy bikes generally are from the hobbyist enthusiast uh, pool of people. And they, yeah, you see that even with like old dudes with Harleys, you know, they'll, they'll do the wave to you. They won't reject you. You're like some teenager on a, on a, on a intro sport bike, yeah. entry level sport bike. They'll give it, they'll do this passive one, you know, where they're like fingers are dangling, <laughs> you know, I'm doing the enthusiastic <laughs> one and they're like, 
Yeah. Like, well, yeah. They, they ran out of energy. They don't have enough energy to lift, to the, lift the arm. It's like, can't you see the posture of my bike? It doesn't... Uh, can't you see the beer belly? It do, it's not consistent with the, the two fingers raised up. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess that'll be a fun experience too. So are you going to get a... Are you ever going to get a Harley? Nah. No, my issue with the Harley is I'm not heavy enough to like justify. Like me look, me sitting on a Harley is yeah, comical, <laughs> especially height and just everything wise. Yeah. No, also, uh, I had you a friend get pulled back, right? So you have yeah. to be a little taller. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I had a well, I guess he wasn't a friend, but I made a friend during that Conestoga bike course, and he he already had a bike, but he was taking the course to expedite the license time and drop his insurance. And he had one of those cruiser bikes, and he said that these dirt bike types uprights are way more convenient because i asked him like should i get one of those he's like no i'd recommend like what you're looking at like a oh they do dirt bikes in the course not yeah. uh well they do a uh, dual what's the do you know what the cc of the bikes in the course yeah 125 is? oh okay that's like nothing it's, but it's pretty decent still, yeah. still the good. thing is you're comparing the pakistan 125s with the ones here yeah they're they're a bit more tuned they're you know not 20 years old yeah it's a different market you know they're pretty fun yeah but they actually tell you not to go too fast on them because i was rebuked a few times like you don't need to go that fast. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't want to have to deal with you potentially yeah. screwing up and No, cuz there was this part where near the end where they'd make us do laps around the the parking lot and I was just going making the radius of the the lap uh longer so I can go faster. So they don't just stay in the line, you know. Yeah, and then they they know, but you know. Yeah, well they probably yeah. most people The I thing do. is a lot of people there were See, I was taking the course to learn how to ride a bike, but not to overcome my fear of riding a bike. A lot of those people there were like scared of motorbikes because there's people from like just completely, it's like, the. I would put it, the analogy would be, you know how a kid when he's trying to ride a bicycle without training wheels, that element was present in a lot of people, which is different from, hey, I just want to get a bike license. So, and I found those people were kind of the, the bulk of the the group there. Of course, there were some guys that were just older. Yeah. How when to get a normal bike license without the course? Do you have to do a, a an exam? Yeah. Is it a the thing exam? is the the pa passing the course in the uh, passing can... the exam in the course is just uh, almost guaranteed. So it's an easy. Also, one. I think it's I think it's a fun. It's worth it. it te they teach you quite a few things. No, and also clutch control and a yeah, few things. Yeah. yeah, it expedites a lot of your mistakes. I'd say. Or yeah. uh, minimizes. No, I would definitely do it. Cool. So that was completely out of out of left motorbikes. Field. I mean, we're thinking of we're considering re-entering or entering and re-entering yeah, the bike scene. Yeah. So yeah, get that paternity leave. <laughs> Ride some bikes, but yeah. my paternity leave is going to be in the winter. So can you hear this? The munching. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of our 10 viewers can tell us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you keep thinking that way, but then one day... Well, I know, I know. You'll well, wake up. And there'll be 12. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think because of that, it's like, I'm trying to... Because who are... Like, you see, I don't have that. Yeah. For me, the... And this is something interesting, because I remember... I don't know, it was an interview or something I was watching where it was a band member talking about the anxiety associated with performing with a large crowd versus mm -hmm. a small crowd. Yeah. And I was like, it wouldn't change it for me. For me, the anxiety is always from my own evaluation. 
because I evaluate myself way more critically than because I know the people in the audience, like especially like at a music concert, damn, they're not gonna notice the mistakes. Yeah, no, but this is it's different. I think I don't know. And my first experience playing in the school confirmed that so violently that that cockiness that I had about not being thing was just like I was like, wow, these guys are even dumber than I thought. Like you can play completely. Now I'm not saying that all audiences are like that, but generally they're there to have a good time. They're not there to nitpick your mistakes and critique you. Yeah. Well, even if like. And what is even, a mistake? Even if you were there, you wouldn't nitpick someone else's mistakes. So exactly. it's like, who, who is the person that would just nitpick It's your mistakes? inner voice that you're projecting onto them. Yeah. And I don't project it onto them. I think that's the difference. A lot of people, they take that inner crit critic and they project it onto people. And, the, and I think the reason I don't do that is because for a lot of people, their inner critic is at the same level of severity as actual other people. So that projection has a synchronized match. Whereas my inner critic is way more severe. So it never got projected onto people because it was never that severe. That's why like when you see comments on TikTok that are like mocking me, quote unquote, it's, it's comedy. It's like, yeah. you know, that's not mocking, bro. <laughs> mocking is what I thought you would say before you said it. The severity of my preemptive uh, estimation of your comment was so far above what you actually said that your comment seemed like a joke to me. Because if I were you, I would say something to me that would be much more painful. Well, the thing is, based based in, based just on the clip or based on you, because there's information about you that he wouldn't know. Based on the clip. Based on the clip, yeah. yeah. Well, if you put in that information, then it's... Yeah, a, I know. But then it wouldn't make sense to him. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying from his perspective. Yeah, but can you actually critique yourself... Is that even possible? Without un understand, without, like, by putting yourself in a state where you don't know about your you, actual You can weaknesses. in one way. So you can remove the concrete elements of things you know, but you can't remove the intuitions and the fuzzy knowledge that you have about yeah. yourself. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Because that that's, that's the thing is like his critique of you would be based on uh, his fuzzy intuition. And so at some level, it's kind of like the kind of stuff that would make him feel bad or I don't know, you know? And yeah. then so then I get it. Yeah, when yeah. it applies to you. It... Yeah. And what I've noticed is that in general, uh, the common man or the, the normal people, their their criticisms are less severe. Yeah. Because their standards are lower for themselves and others, which is a good and bad thing. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah, well, if everyone in the world had extremely high standards, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah. No, there's a Even parabolic normal, curve. Normal distribution. Normal distribution, sorry. Parabolic curve. Is it parabolic? I guess if you f flip it upside down, it's a yeah. parabola. The other one is hi hyperbola? I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know. You're the one who did math. <laughs> I did math. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do math. I didn't either. Yeah. So there's a... No, another thing about the, the bike. So I was thinking, one of the other reasons was, you know, when I was younger, there was... A, I wouldn't spend as much time in front of the computer. And I don't mean like... Like even though I had university and that kind of stuff there would be some, not necessarily outdoor activity, but external activity. And there was always that, always continued, but somewhere around graduation, I felt the need to, I need to just work or get, get some kind of project going. And until that manifests, I have to forbid myself to these kind of uh, fruitless endeavors. 
Yeah, no, it's it's kind of comical because the endeavor that you're actually trying to do is also fruitless in the absolute sense. Exactly. You know, and it, it even it even gets me. It's like because a lot of time, you know, I'd be like, oh, I could have just you know been studying for work and practicing, and I would have been so I would have been making so much more. Would have been so much he farther. A, it's like, what's the point of thinking like that? Because yeah. it's equally futile. He has a great uh, essay in that uh, Byung Chul Han. In the in the storm, it's uh, he calls it the the transition from the. I forgot what the pre-state was, but it's like you're going into an achievement-based society. And you know what's funny, that when you're in that mindset, you can actually there's certain activities that you'll allow yourself to waste time doing, like watching TV and playing video games, because they're not activities, like they're purely time wastes. But you won't. Because if you yeah. if you jump into something that's that has some value, like in the sense that it's some kind of skill that's not directly related to the skill that you're trying to currently build, it's like more of a time waste than the pure time waste. Yeah, which doesn't even it's, make any sense. Doesn't. It's like you you you'd <laughs> allow pure, unadulterated time wasting, but any tangential skill you can't. It's why like Whenever I'd be in exam season, I would just always watch and game a lot more than outside of exam season. <laughs> because it's yeah, like... but you know, I I was I think I was semi aware of that, and and in a lot of exam season, I'd be taking courses of design stuff that I wanted to do, and I wouldn't feel as guilty because it was like this structured procrastination that I'm doing at least something better than that. But it took a while to get to that point. The default was always to yeah, just I had to. I had to drop out to get to that point. <laughs> well, you never stayed in university long enough for that to arise. You just stayed for two years or one and a half year. Uh, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, half of that time was doing internships. So it's like. Yeah, and I think the first year of university, I was quite into it. You know, I was like. Yeah. I think it was easy. It was just math courses. I know it was kind of review for the first year. Was review. Yeah. Thanks to A levels. No, even for me, a lot. Of yeah, I guess. Are, yeah. yeah, it's not. Thanks they, to just not being a complete dumbass. No, also they they intentionally structure it that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise, yeah just, the dropout rate would just they triple. gotta they gotta milk the first year class for extra tuition, right? Exactly. Think about how much, by making that first year easier and having you maximizing them. the the first year class, it's like it's a money thing, man. Yeah, it's, it's always it's all, a money thing. There's always. Because that class is also the cheapest to run because they're not doing, they're not, you know, playing with any expensive. I mean, there's so many reasons to to dislike academia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are. Yeah. No, you got to just do cool things and be amazed by them. And that's why I think there's a reason why, you know how you said that, you know, some people will like these things but not embody them? Yeah. It's because they don't actually like them the same the same way we do. They're not amazed by them. Think so? Yeah. Hmm. I think so. Yeah, I guess I don't I don't know. Like I don't know what if if certain things are universally They are. Yeah, I know they are, but I'm saying are they truly like are they universally in the sense that does everyone deep down actually still also like them? No. Well, that's not what makes them universal yeah, in my universal opinion. Universal in the sense that they're objectively cooler, whatever you want. But yeah, and I would I would replace the term cooler with just better. Yeah. Because someone would be like, oh, cool. What is this teenage definition of things? No, but cool, what it what it really means is cool is a placeholder term. You know, when you're a kid, you just say, oh, that's cool. But as you as you mature, as you grow up, you 
You don't use cool in that sense. Cool is something that that has value, that has weight, that has substance, that has meaning. And uh, it's usually organic, analog, natural. You know, it's it's rarely, nothing cool is of the other camp. You know, you're never going to open up an app and think it's that cool. You might think it's it has a nice design, but it's never going to be awe-inspiring. It'll be nice. <laughs> It'll be nice. It's like, no, it's like, oh, it's not shitty like the other ones. It's not shitty. Yeah. It's not bad is the word. Not bad. Or it's like when the, when it, when the first digital thing happened. You know, like when, when you see the first web browser and you like, though you know those stumble upon extension that you had would that was kind of cool cool yeah but then it's like but then it ceased to be it's cool. all the same thing though because it's all internet right so exactly. no matter what layer you put in front of the internet it's still an internet no matter how app. how high the resolution goes it doesn't change anything yeah and so yeah that's actually it's like the iPod touch the first iPod touch I had was in my subjective experience was much cooler than any current gen item that I own the pure at an emotional level, the appeal that I had was uh, the appeal that it had was way more. And now I can't. It's like like you look at your phone, which is just leagues better, just doesn't have that impact. Yeah. Because there's it's empty. There's nothing in there. There's nothing new in there. And even with the iPod, you quickly realized, hmm, there's not much. And I, I mean, it was only to listen to music. And I remember I I noticed that I I started missing the tactile buttons on my from my Sony, Sony phone, the yeah. W810i. I was like, this that, is... That was a classic. That was good. That was a cool phone. Yeah. You know, so if you want to talk cool, the Sony Walkmans, those are cool. Cassettes, analog, you put it in, the, the mechanical clicking, then you press the play button and it clicks. Yeah. And then the things start spinning. Oh, and then you hear that little hiss, the tape hiss right at the beginning before the recording. I don't know if you... You used that maybe once I, I used CDs, not... I don't think I ever used... The cassette when I was old enough. CDs were cool too because at least they were mechanically spinning, yeah. right? It's not flash data, which is a bit different. I mean, there's always something nice about plugging something in and having the physical... It's that mechanical aspect, yeah. Yeah. No, the assumption that just because everything can become digital, it should, that that needs to be challenged. Because, I mean, I, I don't like it because I, I lose out on all these potential products and services that I would prefer that have analog equivalents. And now it's like, if you want the analog equivalent, oh, you're gonna have to pay three times as much on some Kickstarter or GoFundMe version of this item, which is never gonna ship, you know? <laughs> like it's, it's, a, it's a niche thing now, analog stuff. In, yeah. in a lot of categories. No, the thing about, it, go, it ties back down to like, the reason why people struggle to get married. <laughs> Okay, the here digital, we go, here we go. The digital versus analog thing. Because it's like with analog or something physical, there's an investment. There's a real manifestation. But when it's all digital, it's you can. there's no risk of trying something digital like, or making even something digital and just discarding it, right? It's like, so even, so a company to, to make something digital, they don't need to actually believe that it's going to succeed. They're just, they're just, throwing sh money at you know random shit and then hoping that one of them sticks and then they'll make a bunch of money off of it but with something analog you have to have you have to intuitively understand that this thing is a good product and i'm gonna make it and people may or may not buy it but that's fine because the goal is to create a good product and a good thing not just make a bunch of money yeah it's the the undo redo problem by having infinite undos and redos 
you remove all meaning and consequence from your act. And if your act is consequenceless, then it becomes meaningless. Yeah. And if it's meaningless, then it has no risk or reward. So undo and redo are eliminators of meaning, purpose, risk, and reward. And that's kind of when you start drawing and stuff, you, a lot of people start digital, but I, I would uh, disagree. I would uh, yeah, advise them not I to. I would, of course, start with a pencil or yeah. pen. No, I'm saying uh, a lot of older people who, not, not kids. Kids generally start, are drawn to analog yeah. tools. But older people who are trying to restart learning or something, and I would say start with pen, not pencil, because pen also has erase, which if you're pencil, conditioned, yeah. yeah, a pencil, if you're conditioned to redo and undo, you're going to erase everything. But with pen, it commits. And you have to understand that the mistake is part of the, the process. So all the sketch lines that you make, those rough construction lines, they're part of the thing. So Yeah. I mean, if you didn't want the sketch lines or anything, if you didn't want anything that looked, that made it look hand-drawn, then just take a picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, the thing is, what the sketch lines uh, focus you to, uh, or what they force you to do is that they make you deliberate. So if you, if you don't want a messy drawing, then be deliberate. Where are you placing the line? Think. Because remember, motor function is connected to thought, but the mouse is not. The mouse, what, what, when you're drawing with the mouse, you're not drawing, you're discovering. So what you're doing with a the, with the tablet, okay, I'm going to make a bunch of rough sketches and then I'll see that, oh, okay, the line should actually be there from all the, th I'm going to make 30 different lines at different angles and then I'll choose from here which one's the accurate one. But a good artist is going to generally have an idea of where that line and stroke goes before he draws it. Yeah, it's kind of like separating the physical action from the thought part. It's yeah. Like first, I'm going to draw a bunch of uh, stuff, and then I'm going to amalgamate it. And It's like AI. I'm going to be generative with my yeah, art, exactly. with my music. I'm going to just have I mean, a bunch of... it's the of... same thing I mentioned with the, the, the apps, right? They'll, yeah. They'll make the apps in the AI way, in a sense. Like, they'll just generate a bunch of apps. There's no vision. Yeah. These people are not visionaries. They're blind, and not in the good way. They're They're not... I wouldn't say they're blind. They're... They're short-sighted, narrow-minded, short-sighted. The thing you we were mentioning earlier, how like people that work with their hands and fingers and they tend to be smarter. Was that just, off air? I think I'm pretty sure it was off air, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah. The connection one, between the... yeah. One thing I've noticed is that right now you'll have a lot of men that are fully digital in their lives, but the women that they're married to are still, they still have physical aspects of their life in the sense that most of them are still cooking and a lot of uh, them will still do like knitting and stuff. And then they'll be, you know, raising their children, obviously, but even if their children are older, then they might be doing grandchildren or gardening or something. And that kind of actually... It reinforces the idea for the Western woman that she is more intelligent than a lot of yeah, the men. Yeah, because then the men actually in that situation, they are incredible. They're not realizing their potential at all, and so yeah. they. No, I, yeah. I I agree with a lot of the criticisms of the the Western woman. I actually wanted to do an episode with my wife about love and respect, and kind of get at why does she respect me? Because sometimes I get confused. You know, I'm not a high earner, and I'm not all the stereotypical ways that. Garner, that garner respect don't apply to me so it's it's sometimes yeah. uh, i'm surprised by it but then i'm not because when, when you think about it yeah. it makes sense but <laughs> superficially it's surprising it's surprising but then you look in the mirror and then 
Well, that, and then it I'm, still surprises. Well, that's not. No, the mirror is always. The mirror is. A, I'm like the the what's that witch? The vanity mirror. I don't know. Alhamdulillah, I'm never. Yeah, I'm no. never dissatisfied by my appearance, which is terrible. Because I'm like, what's the motivation to lift? Yeah, the motivation to lift is purely lethargy based, like to 100%. to remove. Yeah, it's Same purely way. energy. It's because if that if that wasn't a factor, honestly, I probably wouldn't train. Bro, I'm. I literally have the gym in my house, and I still. No, there's. I, mean, a, I get a workout in with the drumming. No, there's an element of of space and setup, man. Like that, it's not, it's not conducive. Good, yeah. yeah, no, I have. That's why I have to get out of this room. So wait, hearkening back yeah. to that talk about the motorbikes, one of the reasons was, you know, that we we kind of banned those kind of uh, enjoyable things, you know, until we uh, get out of university or work. You know how you're saying like you want to do something that's productive, but the other thing you'll do will be completely unproductive, like TV. Yeah. So for me, I was thinking, why did I, I used to do these things, you know, like I, I used to go swimming at the YMCA back in the day. That was a fun thing. Then uh, we had the pool table in the basement, although I got rid of that, but there was always some, another motor activity, yeah. right? The enjoyment, the clarity you get by playing pool is also very similar to a lot of these other hobbies. Then the motorbike was another one. So I was like, I need to bring these back because when you're constantly just, uh, it's not so much that you're doing intellectual activities, but when you're all your intellectual activities, for better or for worse, are tied to the digital domain. And I want to slowly, one by one, remove them. So having the motorbike, having the the non-digital cab and amp set up at the basement, completely different setup. Yeah. Having a gym in a, in, a, in a different location, having a room separate for books with no screens in it. And then even in your art and design trying to be as analog as possible getting canvas and acrylic and spray paint and doing that kind of stuff just away from the digital the the accursed digital realm yeah i mean digital is great for podcasts i think digital is not <laughs> and that's about it digital is the avenue you use to spread and share exactly and that's what i mean it's yeah. a tool but it's not meant to be used for creating and consuming. It's meant to be used for... Well, consuming... Uh, well, I guess it depends on what you mean by consuming. Yeah, yeah. consuming if, if it's a... Like if you're getting some information from somewhere else, yeah. But what I mean is if you can get the analog version of that consumption, like if you can read a real book, prioritize that. Yeah, no, I would say the the point of the digital is to short circuit the path to that consumption that you want to do in the yeah. sense that... How would you hear about, you know, this author had you not found that video of that person in the UK yeah. talking? You know, so it's the like... The digital should purely be for exposure and logistics. Exactly. Yeah. Which is how I like... Uh, and exposure both ways. Exposing yourself to yeah, new ideas exactly. and exposing your yeah. ideas to others. So, so yeah, dual-ended exposure. Is that even a... Whatever. You get it. Yeah, exposure and uh, exposure therapy. Exposure therapy was that a? That's like when you slowly build up your tolerance. To oh yeah, that's a thing. Or... Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking, is that a is that a song name or something? Oh, that could be a exposures yeah. in in retrospect and, and denial. denial. <laughs> what a cool name! D T man taking all the good names. <laughs> These guys, uh, you just look through their album. Damn, I I would I would have called my album character a format C. <laughs> For cortex, <laughs> is that what it is? Oh, like you format like the your seed. brain. You didn't get that? No, you not not until today. No, I never thought of it because I always associated it with my first impressions as a kid. 
Uh-oh. And I never thought of it as an adult. This is the first time I, I never deliberated on it. That album, <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's, that is actually very good. Yeah, like you're formatting the C drive, and C means cortex. Yeah, so your main. So it's about rewriting your brain, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like someone else rewriting your brain without your knowledge. I don't know, either way. Yeah. Anyways, complete tangent. Tangents. So what else is new? What else is new, man? Not a whole lot. Wait, I feel like there was more I wanted to say about the hand thing. Oh, no, I already said about it. The, the, hand, the woman about thing. The yeah. bikes. About the... Oh, yeah, I was going to say the the motor stuff. That's also why I always like building furniture. and you know I, I do. When I replaced the microwave, I wanted to do it myself. Like... You know what's funny? I, I wouldn't want to do it again. You know what's but... funny? When, whenever you order something from IKEA and you're building it, there's this relief that you get while you're building it. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm unplugged from this. Yeah, it's such a. And then I'm like, then sometimes I think, oh, I wish I could just do this a lot. But then obviously you don't want to do that all the time. Yeah. But then you're like, you should have a dedicated portion of your day where you're working with your hands. Yeah, exactly. Handcraft. The hand, the human hand, and it's the human hand is a miracle. Just look at the hand and the intricacies, the way it's designed, the the maneuverability it has. You can grasp pens, objects, like it's just it's a miracle. Like you you look at it and it exists, but if someone were to erase the hand from your memory and tell you, hey, you know, all humans they just have stumps now, now build something on them, you would never, given a million lifetimes, be able to design this hand or anything close to it. Nothing. It would be it would be impossible to come close to that. Just you, the level of ingenuity is is obviously divine, yeah. but it's. No, I mean, even if you look at that's what the robot things tend to be the worst at. Yeah, trying to model joints and hand and I mean, and basically artists, even fingers is yeah. all joints, right? The whole, the whole fluidity and controlling the joint and how. And much. artists tend to have an appreciation of the hand. A lot of uh, art, especially older art, is centered around the hand, and it's a it's a. It's also incredibly hard to draw effectively. One thing I struggled with. Yeah, even as a kid, because I'd always do those fists. Even even the, drawing, my... <laughs> when you're drawing Goku in anime, even drawing a curled up fist from a side angle in an anime stylized <laughs> is still hard because that's the face and the hands are, are very difficult to, yeah. And you know, uh, another book I've been reading is the, the Helen Keller book, The World I Live In. It's, uh, you know, the woman who was deaf, dumb and blind, basically. So the, her only way of interfacing with the world is is taste and smell and touch. So predominantly touch. And she talks about... So how did she write? Well, she would probably write with some thing that she would tap or some kind of... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really know. But yeah, there's... Of Braille, course, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Braille and then... Braille is to read and then... Yeah, I mean, they, they would have a method. No, but did she become disabled? No, 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 she was always. She was never... And her writing is excellent, so much better than a lot of sighted folk but but Damn. the way she she comes at it with this uh, she has a bit of a an attitude and she she has a chip on her shoulder on the sense that she's irritated by everyone's perception of her and her understanding of the world through the through touch and what she's saying is that she actually has a better understanding of the world than a lot of the fully sensed people that she encounters and they don't get that and it's very well written. And I 100% agree with her. She talks about things like she can tell intuitively what kind of person she's talking to just by uh, holding their hands. You know, she, I mean, of course, the hands reveal a lot. And I mean, there's explicit things the hands reveal. So implicitly, there should be so many more. 
and yeah, yeah and just uh, vibrations she can still feel, you know. So not the not the audible vibrations, but the ones that can be felt. So she can notice if something falls off the table. She'll notice. There's there's a lot of. Uh, I just started reading it, but it's it's very good. It's very different because in this kind of, it's a very analog book. And although we wouldn't read it from the perspective that she was intending it to be read necessarily. What was her, like to prove people? Well, not not to prove. It was just like an autobiographical account. But we're reading it oh, in the okay. context of this digital analog world yeah. where touch is lost almost, you know? The whole idea of holding hands is almost gone. You know, one thing that always bothered me uh, in the in the Western kind of thing, and I think I mentioned this before, right? But was the lack of physical contact that they showed in intimacy scenes in Western. It confused me because you'd, you'd see, and maybe it's a, a limitation of acting, but yeah. you'd see that, the, you'd see like the, the the romantic leads and they would be kissing but not holding each other. Well, I think they do that because they intentionally don't want to make it intimate. So at some level, their goal is to... But then why put an explicit scene when you're going to do it in a shitty way? Yeah, Just, I... If I was the director, first of all, like outside of religious constraints, I would have been like, either make it look good or we can imply it. Yeah, I always prefer when they just imply it. Like in, you know, Better Call Saul or something, they always, like, there's so much romance in that show, but it's always just implied. implied. Yeah, implication is, is part of good writing. I don't know if you got to that part in several short sentences. That you're... Maybe, but I mean, that's a concept. Yeah, that I, it's, it's a narrative yeah. device too. Like in the Quran, everything's not exactly literal, yeah. spend out, spelt out like a science textbook, you know, to the... Yeah, a little bit of vagueness, implication, and uh, transition. It should all be, chronology doesn't have to be followed. All these things. It's funny how much of, uh, and it's probably a lot of good. How much of the false rules of writing don't apply to, to the Quran? Is that what you're going to say? Well, I was going to actually flip it. I was saying it's funny or it's surprising how much of good uh, narrative has been taken from the Quran. Because it, all of this comes from the Quran. So even modern Hollywood producers, somewhere down the line from the Islamic golden age, all these ideas of non-chronological thought and narrative devices and transitions and implication, all these things, you know, they, they didn't come in a vacuum. You know, Shakespeare like was influenced by Muslims at some level, probably. Well, I mean, at some level, everyone was influenced Everything's by influenced. Adam. Yeah, everything in, is influenced like every from man. the divine source. Yeah, yeah. and then but, he was. Yeah, but yeah. to make it more specific, yeah. it's, it's the Islamic paradigm and the miracle yeah. that because nothing is nothing is originated by man. Man yeah. is not the originator. Yeah.